Our Father and our God, we have learned by grace that we dare not, we dare not trust the sweetest frame, but wholly lean on Jesus' name. We understand, O oh God, that to trust in anything other than the finished and accomplished work of Jesus Christ is to render us ill-prepared, unprepared, to stand before you in death. And we ask, O oh God, that if those have come here today who have not yet seen that all of our labors, all of our supposed good works are as filthy rags in your sight, if they have not seen that, O oh God, might they see it this morning? Might they see that lest and lest they come to terms with your Savior, the one who is the solid rock, might they see that they are standing on sinking ground. They are standing on a ground that will not support them. They are standing on ground that will give way in that great and final hour. But having come to terms with Jesus Christ, we are men and women who find life full of zest. We are men and women who understand that we have been set free from bondage. We have been set free from spiritual bondage. We've been set free from man's bondage. We are free now to go and serve the living Christ. Free now to live exclusively and solely for his pleasure. And I pray, Father, that the, the liberation that we have felt in Christ might be all of ours. Might no man nor woman nor boy or girl stand here this morning not knowing that because of what Jesus Christ has done for us, we have been set free. Our Father, we thank you for the events of the past week. We thank you for the way that you have continued to stitch the hearts of our staff together. And we're, we're so grateful for the joy that we share together. We pray, Father, for families that have lost family heads. We pray, Father, for the McCullers, whose young father has been taken. And pray that you will bring peace to their souls, that indeed you have not forsaken them. And I pray, Father, that as we worship here together, that we might remember that we have not come here to have our needs met. We have not come here so that we can observe and spectate and critique. We have shown up in this place of worship today to aim our hearts and eyes towards heaven and to ascribe to the King of Kings all glory and honor. That the only audience there is is the audience that sits on the throne in heaven that the triune God is to be worshipped, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, that you are the audience. Take pleasure, O God. Take pleasure in what flows out of the hearts of your people. And Father, in this act of worship as we give, might there be hilarious hearts so full that they can't wait to give something away or they will burst. I pray, Father, that you will accept these tokens of our, of our love for you. And tokens that say we trust you for the future.
we give them. And we give them gladly. We pray, of course, in the name of Christ Jesus the Lord. Amen. Thank you. Um, Mother's Day is, is a day that's set aside for a particular brand of female. All moms are females, as you know, but not all females are moms. And so hopefully, um, without detracting from the high calling of motherhood, uh, I want to speak, oh, I, I want to use my comments this morning to speak of the entire gender. Uh, the entire gender of womankind, femaleness. And to do that, I'd like for you to turn with me to Genesis chapter 1. And let's, for a few minutes, talk creation. <clears throat> You're going to have to stay with me. Um, we've got to move through this somewhat rapidly. But uh, here's the story of creation, which I believe is a literal uh, rendering of what God did. I believe that God created in seven days, uh, seven solar lunar days. But that's not the point. I, I just want you to notice, wander through this text with me. Look at verse 3. Um, then God said, let there be light, and there was light, and God saw the light, that it was good. Look at verse 10. Uh, and God called the dry land earth, and the gathering together of the waters he called seas, and God saw that it was good. Look at verse 12. And the earth brought forth grass, the herb that yields seed according to its kind, and the tree that yields fruit, whose seed is in itself according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. Look at verse 18, same chapter. And to rule over the day and over the night, and to divide the light from the darkness. And God saw that it was good. Verse 21, so God created great sea creatures and every living thing that moves with which the waters abounded according to their kind and every winged bird according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. And then finally in verse 25, and God made the beast of the earth according to its kind, cattle according to its kind, and everything that creeps on the earth according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. Now, jump with me if you will to chapter 2, verse 18. And the Lord God said, it is not good. Um, that man should be alone. There was one thing, ladies and gentlemen, at, at that time, one thing in the entire created order that was not good. And may I hasten to point out that the not good thing was not man. That is, it wasn't man that was the not good thing. It was man alone that was the not good thing. Now, in the genius of God, there was only one solution, at least in, in the mind of God, only one remedy that would adequately eliminate that knot. And it wasn't a golden retriever. Um, and that, of course, that is that one thing that would eliminate the knot was the creation of Eve, of female. She would provide something that, that none of the other animals could provide. Something so unique about the need that a whole new addition to the created order was demanded. 
and hop back with me, if you will, to chapter 1, verse 31. And now that Eve has created, then look at verse 31 of chapter 1. Then God saw everything that he had made, and indeed it was very good. And very frankly, ladies and gentlemen, the first time that you get the adverb very in Genesis 1 or 2 is right there. Everything was good, except one thing. Not that man was not good, but man alone was not good. And then God sets out to remedy that by creating a woman. And after he does, he says then, Oh, okay, now that is very good because of the arrival on the scene a female. He took a hundred pounds of clay and then he said, hey listen, I'm going to fix this a world today because I know what's missing. Then he rolled his big sleeves up and a brand new world began. He created a golden retriever. He created a thoroughbred racing horse. He created a woman. He created a woman. And because he did, now everything in the created order is very good. Gang, in my uh, humble opinion, there seems to be two people who don't seem to understand the profundity of that solution. The first group of people that I don't understand are males. And the second group of people who don't understand are females. L let's talk about males and then females and then we're finished. My dear fellow male types, did you know that, in, that prior to the creation of Eve, the Bible describes our condition in negative terms? Um, that is, that we alone, that is, in the state of aloneness, are portrayed in the humbled state of not goodness. Brothers, I am absolutely convinced if that one little fact were fully appreciated by men, it would eliminate 50% of the problems that we have in marriages. Gentlemen, you, I, we have a need. Um, I, I know that that might shock some of you, but uh, this myth of independence is just that. It is a myth. If, if, if you could get it this way, this might be easier. We're like cameras without film. 
You know, you can spend a lot of money on cameras. You can get one of them Pentax Zoom film-related tripod. We can spend a lot of money on cameras. But when there is no film for it, you might as well have the $8 throwaways. Because until film comes along, you can't use the thing. Gentlemen, we have a need. A need so unique that it can only be met one way. Men, I think if we understood that, we would treat women differently. Um, I think the way that we treat women would change drastically if we understood the profundity of Genesis chapter 2, verse 18. We might be more tender or gentle or appreciative or patient or understanding. We, um, we might make decisions differently. Let's say we're facing a big decision down at the office and you're just wrestling with it, you know. Um, th this is the way I like to portray it. It's like driving down a darkened two-lane road with only one headlight. It's dangerous enough driving, you know, in the dark with only one. But then when you add another headlight to it, it's like, oh, I see this thing all the better now. You know, guys, if we understood that without, uh, in our state of aloneness, we were not good, then it might change the way that we make decisions. We might be eagerly desirous of having another headlight shined on the problem. So we might find ourselves consulting those that God have given us and, and leaning and relying on their judgments far more than we do. Maybe, maybe we wouldn't Maybe we wouldn't start talking about a divorce so quickly. Because a divorce would mean that we would be moving away from a God-provided solution. Gang, I have a liver. It's in here somewhere tucked under all of these levels of adipose. It's round here somewhere and it's either in the back or the front. I don't know where the silly thing is. But I have a liver, and I need that blasted thing. And because I need the thing, I will not knowingly treat it with contempt or indifference or neglect. Now, ladies, lest you are chagrined over my likening you to a liver, let me point out something. In fact, if you've never seen this, you might ought to try to take a minute to find it. Um, I, I want to point out to you that that is exactly the thrust of the Apostle Paul in Ephesians chapter 5, verses 28 and 29. Let me read it to you. This is Ephesians 5, 28 and 29. So husbands ought to love their own wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself, for no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes it and cherishes it just as the Lord does the church. I wouldn't dream of treating my liver harshly because it's a part of my body and I need that blasted thing. Gentlemen, do you understand the argument of Paul in Ephesians 5? The argument is simply 
that we are to treat our wives as we treat our own bodies. Paul's point is my point. That which we know to be so very valuable, we would never dream of mistreating. But instead of mistreating, we would treat with great care. We would uh, treat with great concern if we understood how valuable she is. So men, um, in my effort to lessen the battle of the sexes, I would suggest that we all go back and reflect on the, the searching statement that is made in Genesis chapter 2 verse 18 and it might affect our whole valuation of femaleness now may I speak to the sisters in Christ who are here I don't think we're the only ones ladies who misunderstand the, the value of femaleness I would suggest that you too need some kind of refresher course over the, um, the message of Genesis 2.18. Ladies, if you knew the vast hole in the created order that you plugged, you would never dream of allowing yourself to be treated in the way that you often are. For instance, your role as a sex symbol Tell me, ladies, is that all you bring to the table? Then why, oh why, do you not rise up in indignation in having yourselves treated that way? And I say this, why, oh why, do you spend such incredible hours devouring these magazines desperate to find some gimmick that will make you look sexier? <laughs> you see, I think that's reflective of a misunderstanding of your role as outlined in Genesis 1 and 2. I think, ladies, from time to time, you take blame for things that you should never be, ta never be blamed for. You know, in the marital counseling that, that I do, and I do my share, I often find women assuming blame for things that wasn't their fault. For instance, romance has died in our marriage. Has it now? Well, I want you to know, ladies, that's not your fault. Um, you still save the ticket stubs to the movie? Well, I just want you to know that love in a marriage is an assignment that is made <laughs> to men. Husbands, love your wives. Ladies, you are being asked to submit. And if love ceases to exist in your marriage, it's not your fault. It's ours. Um, I, I think... In many instances, ladies, you take far too much from men.
You've lost a measure of your dignity because men will treat you with less value than you deserve. You're not valuable because you're Jane Doe. You're valuable because God created you to plug a massive hole that existed in the created order. And there's not a man in the world who can take that from you. And there's not a man in the world who can add to that. You got it. I have worth because God gave it to me and you can't take it from me even if you fire me. And ladies, you have worth because God gave it to you. And no man can take it from you. You know, um, I, I entreat my sisters to know who you are and to know the utterly crucial role that you play. You're the one you're the one that changed the not to the very. You're the one that changed the not good to the very good. It wasn't us. It was you. Now, in conclusion, I want to offer you this, ladies. Submission is not the ugly thing that you might think it is. If that's an ugly word in your vocabulary, I say to you, you have not understood Genesis chapter 2, verse 18. We don't have time to, um, to spend defining the term fully. But I charge you with simply this. Start with Genesis 2, 18. View your role in life through the utterly profound lens that is provided for you in Genesis 2, 18. You and you alone brought about completion, a completion to this creation. A wholeness, and by the way, ladies, I, I want you to point out, I want you to understand that when God made his assessment in Genesis 2.18, that was prior to sin. There wasn't, it wasn't sin that produced the, 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 the not goodness. No, no, no. That doesn't happen until Genesis 3. It was God who said, even though Adam and I have perfect communion unhindered un, uh, by sin, I'm saying, says God, it's not enough, and I'm going to have to do something about it, and the thing that he did about it is create you. There is a wholeness in the created order that was otherwise missing without you. How in the world did the role of submission ever come to be despised by men or women? I say this to conclude. Ladies, the great liberator of mankind, the great, great liberator of womankind was Jesus Christ. He is the one who, by his life and death, has lifted the people out of lives that are misdefined and misused and, and lives that tend towards meaninglessness. And he has brought them up and set them free to worship and serve him forever. Dear friend, do you know that Savior? 
Our Father, I do pray that you will advance the whole um, rich understanding of maleness and femaleness as we consider all over again what you were up to when you created female. I, I pray, Lord, that it would impact men. I pray that it would impact women. That they might leave here exhilarated with the, with the great esteem placed on them, not by me, not by their husbands or their fathers or their brothers, but esteem placed on them by you. A value that can never be reduced, diminished, nor stolen. Because you and your sovereign good pleasure saw fit to grant wholeness to the created order by the creation of woman. And I pray, O oh God, that as we gather around this sacrament, that if people have come here today because of celebrating motherhood, but have never celebrated the Savior, who've never quite understood what it means to be a Christian, might they hear something in this sacrament? Might they be able to see it portrayed before their very eyes, the very centerpiece of our religion, Christ crucified? We commit this time to you in the name of Christ.